This morning we are going to read from Acts 2, verse 29 to 41. It's found on page 1693 in your pew Bible. Acts 2, verse 29 to 41. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. We did also just want to read the words of our confession, Heidelberg Catechism. I believe it's on the PowerPoint there. And so the reality that we... uh, Take from Acts 29, verse uh, 38, where it talks, you and your children, and the question, uh, should infants also be baptized? Please join in saying the answer. Yes, infants as well as adults are included in God's covenant and people, and they no less than adults are promised deliverance from sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit who produces faith. Therefore, sign of covenant, they too should be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Testament by circumcision, which was replaced in the New Testament by baptism. So those are the words of the Confession Heidelberg Catechism, which summarizes the truth of the Bible as we understand it. Our text is from Acts 2, 38, where it does say, uh, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Spirit. The promise is for you and your children. Uh, Dear children of God, In the letter of John, 1 John, he talks to God's people as God's children. And we all need to recognize that too in ourselves, that we are always, always, 
all God's children. So in that sense, the promise is to us and our children, but we ourselves are children of God. And so that's a a, a lovely context as we consider God's grace to us this morning and the sign of baptism. I want to just address for you uh, one question in relation to the baptism, just to, to pull together what we believe and how we understand what has happened here. I want to ask you and address the question to you, as we baptize time in here, did we actually do it correctly? Did we actually do this right? That's the question. Is this how we baptize? Not everybody agrees that we did it right here. There are Christians who would say, oh, you did it wrong. So what, what is actually involved here? We're going to look at, did we baptize time and rate? Here in Acts 2, immediately after the resurrection and ascension, Acts is the beautiful chapter of, of as they're waiting for the Spirit to come. And, and so here the Spirit has come and the Apostle Paul stands up and declares invites the people to repent and believe and be baptized. And this flows out of the account, even in the form for baptism, uh, Matthew 28, where Jesus says, go and baptize, make disciples. And so that's the context of the uh, admonition here, as Peter stands and addresses the people who are there. He recognizes in this very first sermon, really, in the New Testament church, that baptism is very important. So that's his kind of application, that you should be baptized. And 3,000 were baptized, and that must have been quite a service, too. Man, oh man, I'm not sure how they did that. I'm sure they did that correctly. They baptized them. We want to recognize the importance of, of a believing a faith that, that takes hold of God and is then symbolized, affirmed, confirmed in the sacrament of baptism. We want to do it right. We want to make sure we do it right for our own comfort and for the glory of God. So let me first say that it's important to be baptized. In the sacrament itself, those promises that Harriet reiterated, the promises that God says, I will be your God. It's, it's somewhat like, too, if, if the very best doctor in town says, my whole schedule is full, but I will be your doctor, and I will take care of you physically, medically, and then you all of us, oh, wow, wow, I have the best doctor in town. I can go to him any time, take care of me. God says, I will be your God. Amazing that God will watch over you every day even more than a doctor ever could. God promises that to you. And then, and then the reality of, of the forgiveness of our sins as we stumble along in life and we fail and we fall. And God promises that when we confess and look to him in Christ, he will lift us up. We will be forgiven. 
and that truth flowing into the assurance too that we will inherit eternal life. We will be with God forever in glory. The promises of God to those who who trust in him, who believe in him, who are baptized. They are marvelous, amazing things and they are what are signified, symbolized in baptism. And you want to be part of that. I want to be part of that. And so baptism is, is the taking hold of that. And so with all those amazing promises, we want to be sure that we do it correctly. And it, it, it might be a little bit like, like baptism is kind of the official, the official taking hold of that. And so it, it might be a little bit like a, when you do a wedding uh, and then we sign the papers. And, and it's not done correctly unless you sign the papers. And if the papers are not signed, then you are not eligible for the benefits, for the promises that are related to those who are married. And so, so baptism, we need to do it right. We need to make sure that we do it right. There's discussion about how to do it and what makes it right. And I'm just going to go over a few things. First of all, how to apply the water. Many people feel you need to apply the water correctly. We are, we are sprinklers. Sprinkling. <laughs> this is sprinkling. When it says in Hebrews 10, have your heart sprinkled, it's, it's referring to the Old Testament where as the tabernacle was prepared for the service of God or as the temple was purified, then the priest would take the blood and they would sprinkle it on the altar and it would be purified. And they would sprinkle it on the altar of incense and on the table of showbread and on the, on the, the candlelight. And they would, there, there would be splatters of blood. They wouldn't wash it all down. They would sprinkle. And that would make it holy to the Lord. And so, so the thought of sprinkling is very biblical in the sense of, of the holiness of God comes and enters in and, and we are entering into that holy relationship. And it doesn't take huge amounts. It, it's just a sprinkling. And when the people of old saw the sprinkling of blood, they were assured God, God's presence would come and God would be there and what took place in the temple, in the tabernacle, would be his will worked out. And so here too was sprinkling. It's very biblical, very powerful picture of God's cleansing, purifying work. Some would say you have to immerse, full immersion. So here we have someone being immersed. And in the form, it it talks about too that, that baptism is a picture of of dying and rising. It says it right in our baptism form. And that's a powerful picture. 
That as we, as we join in faith in Christ, and as Christ died and rose again, so we die, as Paul says in the letter of Corinthians, to our old selves, and we rise to new life in Christ. It's, it is definitely a powerful picture of baptism. And if we reflect on it too, John the Baptist, by the River Jordan, he baptized people that way. Jesus himself, it says in Luke 3, went down and came up out of the water and received the Holy Spirit. And so, so people think and say too, you are not really baptized correctly unless you are immersed. And so we can talk about that. And that's a biblical discussion. Some churches do bring in a, a cattle tank like this and specifically do immersion baptisms. If you reflect on, uh, to some churches build a big tank. So, so you would build a big tank here with stairs. And then, and then it would be, and then the front is glass. Have you seen those? Yeah. And then you can actually open the front and then you can see the people getting in and being baptized. It's like my fish tank downstairs in my office. You can just see everything that's going on. And you can see the person going down and coming up. That's how some feel it needs to be done. There's also, specifically out of Acts 2, verse 33... Acts 2.33, uh, Hilda, as she was reading through, uh, it speaks about how, how God exalted Jesus to the right hand of God and, and that he has received from God the promised Holy Spirit. So Jesus' ascension, he received the Spirit, and then it says the Spirit he has poured out. Poured out the Spirit. And some churches, some traditions have, instead of, instead of this, they'd have a bigger bowl, and then, and then I would have a big jug, and, and the person would, would lean over the bowl, and we would pour the whole jug over their head. Just a, a flow of water as the Spirit is poured out onto them. Have you seen that? Ah, it's a beautiful thing. It's based on things like here, Acts 2. And so then, then the picture of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in the life of the person and that Spirit poured out from the resurrected Lord. Titus chapter 3 also talks about that. The Spirit poured out. So which one is correct? We want to do it correctly. And so some people, too, have, have the feeling, too, oh, I was baptized as a baby, but, but it, it really didn't, wasn't quite right, and so I want to be rebaptized. And so you get these kind of feelings and thoughts and what is exactly going on. Does it make a difference how the water is applied? Does it somehow take better one way or another? Do we have more assurance of faith? 
we would say, as a Reformed church, all are equally effective. And there's no need to do it over from one to another because it's God at work. And, and they all do point to God's work. So we have the tradition of sprinkling, which is a powerful, beautiful tradition, and we receive that with thanks. But that's not where our hope lies. Because we do this, now everything is going to be better or fine. The second point about uh, that's discussed about baptism, quite often comes up, the type of water. You can be baptized in a lake here. Have you seen a Gull Lake? Some churches go to Gull Lake and do baptisms. Have you seen baptisms in a lake? In Kelowna, sure. The whole congregation lines up on the shore and people wade out. I've done one baptism in a lake. It was for a gentleman who, who was very outdoorsy. He fished and he loved it by the water and, and it was very appropriate for him. We went down to the lake and we baptized him. But, but yeah, is it better to get baptized in a lake? The biblical story, the Sea of Galilee, no one was ever baptized in the Sea of Galilee. Better to be baptized in a river a river is living water, moving water. And so to be baptized in a river is better than to be baptized in a lake. The Pentecostal church in Tabor often went down, I don't know if the, what they do here. In Tabor, they, they would often, uh, then you have to be baptized in the summer, and they would take down to the river, uh, the Old Man River in Tabor Park, and uh, they, always <laughs> they always had the river was fairly quick and fairly deep. And, and at one time, they almost lost somebody because <laughs> they had him in the river and they put him down and then the current took him. So they, they always had the pastor and the person and then they had like three people kind of to catch him in case they lost him. Nobody ever died. But <laughs> it, it was, yeah, you were in the living water. The water was moving and alive and yeah, the, the water of life, and, and so, yeah, they, they took that. Some people, when they go to the Holy Land, they get rebaptized in the Jordan River, the river where Jesus was baptized. Some people take water back from the Jordan River, and then we would have the water in here. And then we would use Jordan River water to baptize. And some people feel, too, that's, that's better. That's somehow better, right? So all of this discussion goes on. What is the best? And we would say, it's, it's not the point. We actually use warm water. Barb boils the water so that when the water hits the baby, it, it doesn't, oh! <laughs> we don't use cold water. We use warm water. But, but any water is fine. Water signifying a living presence of God, the cleansing presence, the purifying. Water, definitely, baptized with water in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then we can be confident we are doing it correctly. Now the 
biggest thing, the real discussion, is does it depend on the people involved? Does it depend on the people involved? And I want to begin with the person administrating the sacrament, myself. Does the effectiveness of Timon's baptism depend on me? And if you think biblically, the church, the early church, practiced baptism. And if you read the letter of Corinthians in the first chapter, then Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and the people are talking to him, and they say to him, Oh, I've been baptized by Apollos. Apollos was one of the leaders in the early church. And their suggestion was, my baptism is better. And others say, I was baptized by Cephas, that's Peter. And because I was baptized by him, my baptism is better. And then Paul himself says too, I baptized some. But then he says, I'm glad I didn't baptize too many, because you've got it all wrong. It doesn't depend on who is doing the baptism. And in the fourth century in church history, there was a time when there was, a, in the Catholic Church, the persecution. And then uh, the history states that some of the priests in one of the parishes uh, denied the Lord. Under pressure, under torture, sadly, they, they actually, through all of the persecution, said to, oh, really, I don't believe. And then, and then the, the history tells how, how the church then asked everybody, were you baptized by one of those priests who, who now uh, denied the faith? Then you need to be rebaptized, because it depends on them. We, we don't see it that way. It doesn't depend on the person doing the baptism. We as a church believe that the person who is ordained by the church, recognized by the church to preach and administer the sacraments, does that in the service of the Lord. And that's effective. The biggest issue is, does it depend on the actual person being baptized? So that comes to between infant and adult baptism. And there's a huge discussion about that. What is better? Now, the effectiveness, if, if, you, if you compare, yeah, an adult, the knowledge and commitment that they bring, beautiful, and that that is recognized in the sacrament of baptism, wonderful. Compared to Timon, who brings no knowledge and no commitment, because he's a baby. So what's better? So then, then what happens? Does it, does it pass then to Kyle and Erica, right? Because it's their commitment then that we're looking at, right? And we are, and we see that, and, and we see too, faithful Christian parents. So, so is that in view? That, that, okay, the parents come believing and the parents promise to fulfill, commit themselves. That is a lovely equivalent of the knowledge, the commitment level. 
So that is there with infant baptism. But, but the actual infant doesn't know anything. So is baptism effective only when the person uh, knows the level of knowledge, the level of commitment? That reality is, is we cut through that with infant baptism. Because you would, you would ask too, how much does the adult need to know? How committed do they need to be before we baptize them? What level should we set on that? I baptized a lady who was 67 years old. She had not grown up in the church or the faith. She was coming into the faith. She was growing in faith. She was learning. But I would say too, some of our seven, eight-year-olds would have known more than she knew. We baptize her. The knowledge, the level of knowledge, what, what do we say about that? To have infant baptism is to recognize that we all come, our level of knowledge is, is always in all of us insufficient. None of us comes with a full knowledge. None of us comes with a solid, unbreakable commitment. We all come in our own weakness, in our own lack of understanding, and infant baptism is, is a powerful biblical truth that, that we, don't, we don't come with, with anything to offer. That's what the Bible tells us. None of us has any right to expect anything from God. We don't bring a single thing. All of our level of knowledge is, is just before God. We, we don't know anything. And our saying, oh, I, I commit myself, is that is so weak and, and off and on. And so the picture of a child, a baby coming, is actually a picture of all of us at whatever age, None of us deserves it. None of us can stand and say, oh, I'm, I'm worthy of being baptized. I'm so great. No. We come in faith. We have no claim. We have nothing to offer. Our hope is completely in God. And so that's, that's the beauty, the strength of the symbolism of infant baptism. And then, the, does it depend on the church, the people of the congregation? Is the effectiveness of baptism dependent on you? Because you said you said you were going to help. You were going to help Kyle and Erica. And if you don't help, yeah, what's that? And so in, in terms of the Sunday school, in terms of, of helping through, through the youth ministry, even with, with cadets and gems and with youth ministry and, and all of that helping, like are some churches better at that? I think our church is really good at that. There's a lot of churches who don't have nearly what we have and who don't have people committed nearly to what we do. And I'm so thankful we can and do, by God's grace, a lot of things. But does it depend on that? And the answer is no. We try to help each other, and we try to hold 
each other accountable and to build one another up in the faith. But we would say it doesn't depend on the church. So what does it depend on? Our assurance doesn't depend on ourselves, our works, our human preference, or anything we do. That's not the focus of baptism. Even thinking about the sprinkling or immersion or all the rivers and lakes and things, the focus has to be on God. That's, that's where the entire focus has to be. Our assurance is not in ourselves or how we might do things a little different and we might think they're a little better. That's not the focus. The focus has to be our trust in God, the God who loves us and is faithful to his promises. Otherwise, we have no assurance at all. So the question is, will this baptism for time and case when Stryland, will it hold, will it take? And the answer is yes. Because we believe that God in this sacrament reaches down from heaven and takes hold of him. That's what we believe. And when it says in Philippians 3, Paul's assurance of faith, verse 12, I'm trying to take hold of God, I'm trying to be faithful, but Christ took hold of me. That's the firm grip. That's the solid hold that baptism offers us weak, sinful people. Our hope for time and and for ourselves, is completely in God's love and grace in Jesus Christ. And that's the key point this morning, and I need you to realize that when you even talk to others about baptisms, and and you can talk to them about different ways of doing things, and, and we can all discuss that, and we can still get along very well, but the whole thing comes down to the power, the presence of God. And the reason we baptize infants is to highlight that above all. There's nothing in the child. It's all in God. And there's not much water, just a little bit. But it's all in God who cleanses and restores. So we have, we have a bit of a minimalist approach here which maximizes who God is. And our hope is in him. The biblical truth that salvation is by grace alone in Jesus Christ, not in ourselves at all. So that God is clearly in view and our hope is completely in him. And even even when Harriet said, do you remember your own baptism? Do you remember? No, you don't. But when you see a baptism, you are reminded... And when, when you recognize that, yeah, you don't remember your baptism, but God remembers. God remembers that he said that he was going to be your God, that he would forgive your sins. So when you call on him, he will answer. That's the wonderful hope we have, the assurance of God's grace to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we stand amazed again 
at your wondrous loving grace that you reach down into our life and that you promise to be the God who loves and cares for us. Lord, we are just in awe of you again this morning. We praise you for your great love, for your faithfulness. We thank you that we can rejoice along with uh, Kyle and Erica in the baptism of Timon, but also to see as well and rejoice in your faithfulness to us. We thank you that we can celebrate your love in this way. You are great Father, God and King. Hear us and continue to encourage each one in faith of whatever age in this day and on in our lives, we pray in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.